how to start well you know it's just writing i mean here's something important to remember about dialogue every word matters no it doesn't they're vital i want to go to this place that i think it needs to go to the only thing that counts is what you see on the screen i will write like four or five six hours a day and it will be a voice made of ink and rage okay i'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question Welcome to the show. In this episode, I sat down with Sue Ellen Thompson, a poet and mentor known for C. Nettles, New and Selected Poems. Sue Ellen's poems have been read more than a dozen times on NPR or National Public Radio by Garrison Keller. They've been featured in the U.S. Poet Laureate, Ted Kooser's National Syndicated Newspaper column, and have received numerous awards, including the 1986 Samuel French Morris Prize. In this, we do talk a little bit about her books, about her poetry, about what got her started in writing. But kind of my own interest here was I'm really curious about her coaching program and how she teaches students, especially adult poets who are really serious about the field. So we do talk a little bit about that, tips for writers, her workshops, her poems, and lots more. Before we get to the interview, though, I've got my amazing podcast producer, Marion, here. Marion edits these. She sets these up. She does so much for the show. What kind of stood out to you about this interview with Sue Ellen Thompson? I thought it was really interesting because at the end she talks about how most of her clients work like these really serious jobs, like non-creative jobs, like government jobs. And she mentions like FBI or lawyers and stuff like that. And um, I don't know, that I thought that was really surprising. Actually, one of my best friends is a lawyer. She works in government, like on like, the Italian embassy here and she's one of the best writers I know like really good writer like a really good poet so I find I find that really funny that these people that do these government jobs have like this very creative um sites that they don't usually express yeah, I love hearing those stories. One of my a good friend of mine is an engineer in Raleigh, and I know he like writes some poetry and song lyrics, and he's in a band on the side. And so many people do that, and I think it, it's amazing when they can find coaches or find that continual like adult education. Um, I really look for people like that too. So, it, as as some of the listeners know, we've already kind of started a a nonfiction book course. We've got a freelancer course, and all these things are kind of funneling into a bigger project I'm working on, more of a lifetime coaching program. Uh, so you can find out more about that over at brockswinson.com get my book for free learn about the podcast learn about new courses and free stuff we're doing all that great stuff's over at brockswinson.com uh, before i get into this call though, i do want to do something a little bit different so before we jump into the actual interview sue ellen actually sent us some of her poetry so i want to share some audio recording of her reading and then we'll jump on that interview so here is her reading some of her poetry and then the call Graduation Day, 2002. The cap and gown for which we'd paid lay discarded back in her room, although she'd cut two black strips from the hem and wore them as armbands. She'd pinned two small silver wings to her back and wore glasses with heavy frames and no lenses. When I look at the photo now, 18 years later, I wonder how I could have missed what our child was trying to tell us, that they were in mourning, had somewhere to go, and could see what they had to without any help from us. 
Tell me like first, so what made you want to be a writer? What's kind of your way back origin story? Um, I don't know that I ever consciously thought about it. I do know that um, something happened when I was 16 years old. I was sent off to Australia for a year as an exchange student. And I'd never been on a plane before. I'd never been away from my parents. I'd never been to overnight camp. And here I was going to the other end of the world, you know, to a country where back then I wasn't even sure they spoke English, you know, <laughs> so far away. And so it was a difficult year, a very challenging year for me. And a lot of the feelings I was dealing with, I put into poetry. I wasn't even sure what a poem was, but I was pretty sure that's what I was writing. That's what it felt like. And so it really goes back to about the age of 16, 17. What were those early poems like? Was it about feelings, observations? Uh, how do you kind of categorize it based on your career in hindsight? Well, probably not that different from what most high school students are writing about their feelings and their love life. You know, I had I had a very serious boyfriend in Australia, and I presented him with a handwritten book of poems at the end of the year. I'd love to get it back, <laughs> but I'm afraid I'd be embarrassed by what I read. You know, I I was just pouring it out. That's what you do at that age. It's almost it's very bold to even hand it over. I think was it? Did you ever feel like you didn't want to share things with the world? Because a lot of young poets don't really publish or ship or whatever the equivalent of that is. Was it hard to start to show people your work? Well, this was sharing on a very small level. I was sharing it with someone who I knew loved me and would like it no matter what. So I sort of started out the safe way, and you know, then I went off to college and. They didn't have many creative writing classes back back in those days. I was an English literature major, and I spent those four years at Middlebury College in Vermont reading really great poetry. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm not at all sorry for that. I think those were the years when I should have been doing more reading than writing. But then the year after I graduated, I was living in um, a very isolated, very cold Vermont farmhouse. And I had broken up with my college boyfriend and I was very unhappy again. And I started writing. Was it always a hobby? When did it maybe start to shift to like, oh, maybe there's a career here? When did that start to happen? Well, I don't know if there's ever a career here. <laughs> but anyway, I would say there was a big shift. Um, when I turned 30, I had been working as an editor at a publishing house. I had a good job. And uh, the, uh, the boss, the managing editor, called me into his office one day. And he said, I'm, you know, whatever he was, 60 years old. And I'm thinking of retiring in the next few years. And I would really like to groom you as my successor for managing editor. And every red light in my head went off like, no, no, this is not me. This is not who I want to be. And if I don't make a change now, this is who I will become. So um, that very summer, I quit my job. 
and I went freelance. I went off to Oxford University in England and studied poetry there for a summer. And when I came back, I began uh, freelancing and devoting a couple of hours a day to my own writing. So that was a real turning point for me. That's a that's a tough decision. I've, I've made similar a lot of the guests on the show have. Do you give any bits of encouragement for those, especially young people that are considering, you know, cutting the safety net and really pursuing something, at least for a period of time? Like, how did you do you give any advice around what you did or how to do that? Well, I, I certainly don't recommend giving up your day job until you, you know, I knew I was going to walk away from that job with Back then, it was a lot of money, you know, seven or $8,000 in profit sharing. And I knew I could live on that for, you know, for this period of time. So I put um, some support for myself in place. And I, I would definitely encourage young writers to have a plan. Mm. And don't just quit, because especially with poetry, you will never make any money, probably. Or you'll make very little. You'll never be able to live on it. You'll always have to teach or coach or do something. Very few poets live off their poetry. So I, I certainly would encourage them to spend their 20s or whatever um, getting a job in place that enables them to take some time off or to put a few hours aside every day or get part-time work or whatever. But I'm not a, a big fan of rushing into it at too young an age. I actually teach some people freelancing now. It's obviously very different. It's mostly online. How were you doing it back then? Were you kind of going out and selling yourself? Or what was that approach like? What, the freelancing you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, because I had worked for a publisher, I already had a lot of contacts. So uh, one of the guys I used to work with had, had gone to work for... Oxford University Press in their um, dictionaries and reference book division. And he gave me a lot of work. Um, I worked on the new Oxford American Dictionary, you know, um, which back then, before all dictionaries were online, was an extremely uh, well-known and great-selling dictionary. Um, I wrote reference books on things like the folklore and mythology behind certain American holidays uh, for a reference book publisher in Detroit. That job also came to me through contacts I had as an editor. So that kind of fell into place pretty easily. I wasn't doing magazine articles or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had a little slot. Did you have any um, trouble, like, so me personally, I write screenplays and, and books and short, and there is kind of a mindset shift. Did you find that when you're writing something long form nonfiction versus poetry, is it hard to go back and forth or how did you work on going back and forth? Yeah, I've made that shift um, for so many years. I don't even think about it now, but for many years, I would work on poetry for two hours in the morning and then do my freelance work for six hours. And I had that schedule for probably 20 years. So I just got in the habit of, you know, 10 o'clock or whatever it was in the morning, just flipping that switch. I would have to physically change locations from the living room to my office. I had to get up and go somewhere different. And mm. that helped. 
Did you always have that work ethic? I mean, it's so hard to do that. Some people would tell you to go get a job that had nothing to do with writing, pay the bills, write in your free time. How did you, I don't know, did you have to work up to that amount of time or how, how did that kind of work out for you? Yeah, I did have to work up to that amount of time. Um, again, that's how I spent sort of my 20s and part of my 30s. Coming up with just the right arrangement for me. And for me, I needed to be working with language all the time. I mean, writing a poem is very different than working, you know, writing definitions or synonym studies for a dictionary, very different. But still, you're working with the same material, you're working with language. I've always had um, a lot of self-discipline. That's never been a problem for me. And once I had a child in my early 30s and I realized that if I didn't exercise that self-discipline, every day would be eaten up. Um, then I became quite, quite regimented. You know, I'd put that kid down for a nap, go immediately to my office. I'd know I had two hours max and I'd better use it. So that's, you know, that's never been my issue really is self-discipline. Is there any um, difficulty in, because it seems like when you're thinking about poetry, every word counts. I mean, you can obviously think that in any type of writing, but it may slow you down when the output is thousands of words. Um, anything there that you do to kind of to, to shift of that longer versions? Well, it's going to the shorter version, the more condensed kind of writing that is the difficult part. Okay. It's always easy to spin a long sentence or fill a page <laughs> or whatever. It's, it's going to that very condensed, very pared down, no word that doesn't belong, no excess adjectives or adverbs. That's, well, that's what revision is all about. And I do, you know, many, many, many more times the revision in poetry mm. than I do in any kind of long form writing. A lot of novice writers or young writers have difficulty wrapping their head around throwing away drafts or cutting things and cutting large amounts. Um, anything you did, to, I mean, obviously, if you want to produce the best work, then that's what you should be going after. But anything to um, think about being okay with scrapping drafts or throwing out lines and everything else? Oh, you just, you get over it. You <laughs> have to do it. That's one of the things that makes a poem good is that incredible lack of excess that just getting to the, the purest language, the most precise language available to express whatever you're trying to express. And I mean, that's why having some kind of teacher or mentor to help you learn how to do that, how to recognize that excess in your own work is so essential. And I had a, I had a good one. Um, when I was in college, he was just a literature teacher, but he was a published poet. And I spent one summer typing up, which we had to do in those days manually, um, the manuscript for his, I can't remember, maybe his third book. So I sort of got the feeling just in transcribing his poems, what it felt like to write a poem. And I noticed how there was nothing wasted on that page. It was an incredibly valuable lesson for me. So I had a mentor, even though it wasn't a real active relationship, 
Tell me about, so you're, you kind of teach now some, you have some workshops and different things you do. There's a big difference in like, I've probably read 20 books on writing, but when you start to talk to someone and they're dissecting your individual work and seeing things you're not going to see almost like a therapy session, there's so much value. Tell me a little bit about your program and working with students. Okay. Well, when I um, left Connecticut, this was about 17 years ago, I moved to the Eastern shore of the Chesapeake. And this is a very rural a uh, somewhat remote area where across a six mile bridge from Annapolis and almost two hours east of DC. So it's, it's not, there are no urban centers near us and very little in the way of poetry education, poetry reading series and all that. But there is one place in Washington DC called the Writers Center. And it is designed for adult students, although I'm sure young people go there too. Uh, who want to learn about the craft of writing poetry, fiction, whatever, whatever they're interested in. So I contacted them and um, and they invited me in for an interview. One thing led to another. And for the past 16 years, I have been teaching craft-oriented as opposed to inspiration-oriented poetry workshops for adults. And I, you know, uh, I, I typically will take a subject that I wish I had learned about in college or soon after and have, you know, maybe didn't understand even when I was publishing my first book. I didn't really understand where you end a line of poetry. Mm. So I took line breaks as one of my first subjects and developed a three-hour craft class designed for people who, who, you know, are already writing, but don't really know about the skills involved. And over the years, I've, I think I've got 16 different subjects now I teach at the Writers' Center. Again, three hours at a clip. A lot of it is online since COVID. I've been doing a lot of it on Zoom because my students have moved to different parts of the country and that way they can um, continue to attend. But I had to sort of break down what you needed to know to write a good poem and then develop a three-hour class around each of those subjects. A lot of writers want to be inspired. They want to write when they're inspired, the muse, all those things. But it seems like writing craft first, you're going to develop the discipline sooner and be more of a professional as opposed to a hobbyist. Is that kind of how you see it? Is that Do you introduce the class in any way like that? Yeah, the inspiration is really um, a luxury for the young who have plenty of time. And, you know, inspiration, I mean, how often does it come? You know, as you go through your life, sometimes it's it's there all the time, but the older you get, the harder it is to find. And so I, I really encourage young writers to start as they've already got the ideas or they wouldn't be coming to a place like the Writers' Center. They have something they want to write about and they have what they think is a finished poem, but to me reads like a rough draft. Mm. And to teach them the difference between what they think a finished poem is and what a, a you know poetry journal or a small press editor would consider a finished poem is is where I try to come in and just help them understand that there is more to writing a poem than taking your thoughts and breaking them into lines. 
Beyond crafts, you mentioned in your early days, it was more romance or love lost. And I'm sure that's always kind of been there. What are some other themes? If you go back and look at poems through your whole life, what are some other themes that stand out that make this your work as opposed to someone else? Yeah, I never would have thought that family would become a theme to me, but it has, but it has. I always thought that had to be one of the most boring things to write about. I didn't, I didn't have a tragic childhood. I came from a highly happy, functional family uh, with five kids. You know, what, what's to write about? But again, over time, um, even the most functional family, once you get into subsequent generations, stuff happens. You know, I mean, in my family, we ended up with, um, my parents ended up with an autistic grandchild an alcoholic grandchild, a transgender grandchild who happens to be my child. And, you know, all these issues came up. And then my parents, of course, got old. They got sick. They died. And that opened up, that that whole subject of loss, Mm. of losing what for years you, you know, took so for granted you barely knew it was there. So family, marriage, and parenting and loss. I would say, are my subjects. Is there more freedom in poetry to be a little like artful with that? Like, for example, if I wrote a short story about a a problem with the family, I think of like David Sedaris. It's pretty clear what I'm writing about. With poetry, you can maybe hide what you're saying. Do you kind of see that at all? Or how do you see the the creativity part of it? I'm a fairly direct and somewhat narrative-oriented poet. I, I wouldn't really consider myself a lyric poet, although I have written lyric poems. So I do tend to start with a story in my head and then look for a way to present it in a way David Sedaris wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always happen. It, sometimes my poems just sound like stories on the page. There's no art. There's no craft. There's no metaphor. There's just nothing to surprise or engage the reader. And that is the hard part. And those are the drafts that just end up piling up in the bottom drawer. And sometimes I'll go back to them two or three years later. I rarely find anything worth salvaging there. It's sad. But the the amount of the amount you throw away in poetry is certainly well over 90%. It sounds like the type of teaching you're doing, I would assume, especially adults, they're really willing to learn as opposed to like middle school or something like that, right? Um, I'm I'm curious, like, have you learned anything from your students? Has working with students changed your style at all? Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I work with a lot of adults and um, a lot of my adult students either have had or are still having a brilliant careers in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. working for various parts of the government, working for the Smithsonian, you know, working for the CIA, whatever. And they have really um, expanded my awareness of just how many other subjects there are out there beyond my favorites. And so, yes, I, I would say they have encouraged me in that way. Um, I have learned to use a little more humor in my poetry by reading their poems. Um, they're not beginners, you know, they're not beginners. And and they've had, most of them are, you know, over 40 or 50. And some of them are retired. So they've had 
interesting lives and the way they can dig back through those lives and and write about something that happened 40 years ago um, has encouraged me to do the same. Do you have any like maybe longtime writers, but first time poets in your class? Any or any advice for those? Because I've only written a very small amount of poetry. My grandmother has published some books of poetry, always been kind of a hobbyist poet, but I write other things. Any advice for those who maybe even like even if they want to use it to explore something else they're working on or explore an idea or a theme? Well, there's absolutely anyone can try and, and can use it for whatever purpose suits them. But for anyone who is at all serious, and by serious, I mean, I guess, getting published or having an audience, then my advice is always educate yourself or get some education. There are many organizations like the Writers' Center. You know, they, most cities have some kind of organization outside of academia mm -hmm. that um, offers instruction for for um, first time writers, and I, you know, I do a lot of manuscript evaluation for poets who are just trying to publish their first books. And uh, oh, I will. I mean, sometimes they're terrific, but sometimes I feel like saying you don't know enough yet. Mm. You've got to educate yourself. I used to buy uh, college creative writing textbooks and read them cover to cover. Mm and learn what I could about things that were never taught to me, about meter and rhythm and met how metaphor works and all that. I am largely self-educated. I, I have a master's in literature. I do not have an MFA, which of course is practically required nowadays. Mm. Certainly very popular, especially for, for poets who teach, which is probably the most common career for a practicing poet is to be a teacher. Is there anything you might end a course with? Uh, any bits of advice for those? I mean, it, it sounds like keep exploring, keep educating yourself, but anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, read more poetry. You know, people write it, but they don't read it. They don't buy the books that come out, and there are some wonderful poets um, that have been writing in the last 20 or 30 years and read contemporary poetry because if you can find someone who writes the way you wish you could write mm. that can be very inspirational and it can give you something to shoot for i think that's all my big questions you want to tell me a little bit more about your work or what they can find on your website or where they can read some of your work or anything else yes um my website is www.sueellenthompson.com and there are um, not just poems there, but there are recordings. I've, uh, Garrison Keeler has read probably a dozen of my poems on NPR. You can listen to those recordings. Um, I also have done a number of lectures about contemporary poets and you know how their life intersects with their work. And those some of those lectures are on my website. You can read them there. I've published um, six books. Um, my, my newest one, which came out last year, uh, is called Sea Nettles, New and Selected Poems. And that has about, I don't know, it's about half new work. And the other half is selections from my fourth and fifth books. Mm -hmm. And they're available on Amazon or from the publisher, Grayson Books. I mean, easy enough these days for anyone to find poetry books. But again, you know, 
if people don't buy these books, every time someone I know or a friend whose work I admire comes out with a new book, I immediately buy it. I immediately buy it because then you're supporting a whole tiny little industry there, um, which keeps people writing and reading poetry. And if people stop reading it, there's no point in writing it. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.